a seat this morning. And uh, what a privilege to be together and worship. How many of you were here Wednesday night? Yeah, okay. The rest of you, we're going to talk about suffering today. And the rest of you, I'm sorry, you suffered. There was loss. Because I'm going to tell you something. God did some things here on Wednesday night. God poured out some power here as we worship together that I cannot put into words for you. And uh, so I'm sure you had things you had to do and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm not in any kind of way passing on guilt, but I am saying I'm sorry for you because it was awesome and it was powerful. And we joined together in the name of Jesus to declare the power of God poured out in this place. Uh, one of the things we did, you'll see at the front door, is we built a tower, an altar in the, in the old school, Old Testament way that we stack up things that God has done. Uh, and people came up and wrote what God has done in their life, testimonies to the power of God, and we stacked them up out there. And that's just by the front door. There are actually a few more blocks left. If Even if you missed out on Wednesday night, but you want to add to our tower of the power of God, you can write something down and put it on that stack as well uh, before you go today. But that was an awesome, awesome time. We've had a lot going on. I want to mention a couple things. First of all, yesterday, uh, we had a group go to Seeds of Hope. We got a picture from our, our intrepid leader of missions team, Stacy. So some folks were able to go yesterday and serve the Lord, uh, as well as serve those people in Camden. You met Bill and Brenda a couple weeks ago. And uh, this is as many as we could take on Saturday. It's all we could pack in. Uh, I know there are other opportunities coming, but they had a wonderful time. And uh, last month, we also collected for Seeds of Hope. So uh, there were, it was overflowing the bins that we have out there. They took all that stuff. They blessed those people. So we have a new project for you this month, which is Kids Alley. And uh, we love the ministry of Kids Alley. We love what Brenda does, what God's calling is in her life, uh, as well as all those who are a part of that ministry. And we are going to collect in those bins. There are, there are uh, signs right over them of all the school supplies and things and whatever you can do. We're going to collect this month for the month of July uh, for that project coming up. So uh, if you want more information about that, you can, you can check those signs. Bring those things in Sunday by Sunday. Let's pack that up. Uh, for all of those kids who are served by Kids Alley, uh, that they will be ready for school. And with simple things like notebook paper or pens and pencils or whatever the stuff, the school supplies that we bring are, simple ways like that, that you turn something very ordinary into the power and love of Jesus, right? That, the, that a child maybe who thinks, I'm never going to get a leg up. No one cares about me. I'm nothing. There are people who care about them that haven't even met them that are willing to go out and spend money to buy things that they'll use this year. And every time they use it, they're reminded that they matter to God because they matter to us. Isn't that awesome? So let's do that. Let's do that this, uh, this coming month. Uh, also, we've got VBS coming up, and uh, we have forms that I want to just remind you about for both volunteering and for signing up and registering your kids. They're on the tables out here on the side. Uh, we only have a few weeks left till we kick off VBS. We need a... Not, 15, 20 more workers, and we need about 300 more kids. So let's do it. Let's get out there and get that thing moving because I think God is going to do some great stuff in and through that. I uh, also want to remind you as we get into the summer months that uh, we still have operational expenses here at church, and sometimes the summer months have a notorious reputation for being uh, a downtime of giving. We don't talk about giving a lot, but it is a functional matter for us. So I'm just going to say to you, to Hope Family, be reminded that we need you to support us faithfully. If you're new or newer and this isn't your church yet, I'm not talking about you giving. I'm talking about people who belong to this church. We have an offering slot in the back, or you can give online. Please make sure you do that through the summer uh, as God fuels what God is doing here 
uh, at Hope. That is a, a, a habit for your well-being spiritually as well as something that represents how well God is at work in our church here together. All right, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we, are, we finished last week with our study in One Night with Jesus in the, the Gospel of John on that those few hours that encompassed all of those chapters and all of those words and all of those messages. And we had a great time going through the Gospel of John in that. And for some reason, God brought my heart to 2 Corinthians. Uh, and so we're going to walk through this book for a little bit uh, until we go away, until I go away on sabbatical uh, at, in August. Then we'll have some other things. We've got some other awesome things planned. But we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians right from the start, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, for those of you maybe who don't know what, what these things are, these are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches. Churches mostly that he had founded. I mean, he didn't found the church in Rome, but there are other, other letters to churches that he founded. The, the church at Corinth was a church that he began. He's already written them a letter, and in Bible study years ago, uh, about two or three years ago, we went through the, book, the letter to Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, which was kind of a mess. I mean, I don't know how many of you were involved in that study, but the church at Corinth was really twisted. They were really, Paul had a lot of correction to do. Uh, there was immorality. They were suing each other. They, they were, the gifts of tongues were kind of like out of control. The, it was all over the place. They were having uh, drunken parties at the, the Lord's Supper. So Paul was like, you guys got to straighten up. So he wrote him a letter. It was a longer letter than this one, the book of 1 Corinthians. And we went through that. Then he goes away, and then there's still trouble. It's not resolved. And now he comes back and writes this letter 2 Corinthians. So as we read this letter, and, and as we talk about what we're going to start with today, it's always important where you start. It tells us a lot about what's coming in the book. So I want to set up a little bit about what's going on in the book as we do this today. Let me ask you, does anybody here know what it's like to feel weary and heavy? Anybody? Anybody know that? Anybody too weary to nod your head at that question? Like I got up here and I feel like the like the whole heavy thing of us today. So I'm not going to critique you on that. I know what it is to be human. Uh, we moved Dylan and Devin into their new home yesterday, and I found out that being 54 and doing that is a lot different than being 34 and doing that in the heat. And so I am very weary today, right? We, get, we have that happen as we go on. Uh, one of the things that discourages believers and confuses people who haven't put their faith in Christ is what it means to have the power of God at work in your life. What it means to know him, what we can expect from him. Sometimes people come to the conclusion as they navigate this life and as things happen, heavy things happen to them, that they can't trust God. Or they read the word of God and they get confused. You know, God seems very angry or God seems very perfect or God seems very too far away. He seems like, some, you know, everybody's different idea of him. So we get a little piece of maybe what God says he is and, and then it doesn't match up with something else and we get confused and, and either we force it all to fit together or we give up on it. And that turns out to be a very hopeless way of living. I think most people would tell you that they would like to believe that there's a purpose in all this, that there's someone in charge, that someone is going to make sure that everything is set right. Most people would tell you they'd like to believe that, but their experience in life often says to them, I don't know how I can believe that and not feel foolish. I mean, how can God judge people? How can God tell me I, I need to do this or I can't do that? 
And so what we're going to look at today, I think, can be a real help in understanding. Because what Paul does as he begins this letter is he begins to help us focus in on some of the primary characteristics of God. And as I think about this, I think a, a general reality in life, see if you agree with me on this. I don't think I know anybody who naturally chooses to be uncomfortable. Like they're like, ooh, I want to be as uncomfortable as possible. I don't think I know anybody who enjoys being uncomfortable. I probably know some people who will choose it if they see the point, but it's not natural for them. They have to get, like, it was a big issue. If you're raising little kids, uncomfortable is a big issue, isn't it? Like, you gotta be comfortable. And if they're not comfortable, you know about it. It's too cold, it's too hot, somebody stole my seat. I remember when we would do movie nights at the house, the comfortable seats were like high priority and the people who did not get the comfortable seats were very much letting us know that they had not got the comfortable seats. You know, or there was some injury and you always know when an injury shows up. Um, and like I said, you know, getting older, you just get uncomfortable for no reason. Like, man, my joints hurt. Man, my muscles are sore. Well, what happened? Nothing. I just existed for another day and then everything hurts, right? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about. We don't get excited about uncomfortable because we all naturally want comfort. We all natu naturally want to be comfortable. We're going to talk about comfort today, but we're talking about it from God. And comfort from God is a little different than what we expect. One of the best parts of being a grandfather, my magic powers have been restored. <laughs> it's awesome. You know what I'm talking about. Like the other day, one of our grandchildren got hurt, got injured. It was a very serious injury from the cry that came, right? And what did I do? Oh, that sounds like that really hurt. Come here. Can I give it a kiss and make it better? And I gave it a kiss and it was better. Isn't that awesome? Like none of my grown-up kids do that anymore. It doesn't work anymore, right? So, so being a grandfather, my magic powers have been restored. Obviously, the reason it helps is not because it heals something. The reason it helps is because it, it communicates something to a little tiny brain that your pain matters and that I care about it, right? I've acknowledged that that hurts and it matters to me. I don't say, get over it. What's wrong with you? I say, wow, that sounds like it hurt. Can I help? Can I give it a kiss and make it feel better? I think the problem for a lot of us with the Lord is that we keep looking for God to make us comfortable. And he doesn't. But he does something else. He comforts us. Too often, our frustration and our disappointment with God is that he we think he chose to let us be uncomfortable. How could you? I thought you cared about us. In fact, what we see is that the pursuit of comfortable actually takes us further away from knowing him, from hope, from joy, when we pursue what we think makes us feel good. So start with me at verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. As Paul starts this letter, he starts it pretty usual. 
He, he says, this is who I am, and this is who I'm writing to. Uh, he says some, some things. He says grace and peace, which is a really interesting thing if you ever dig into that. It just, we just breeze over because like, yeah, grace and peace. Paul's a nice person. He's like, hey, grace and peace to you. But what he does is he takes the normal Greek introduction to a letter, which essentially sounds a lot like the Greek word for grace. It's a different word, but it's, it sounds a lot like it. But the normal greeting for a Greek person was good luck, basically. <laughs> I hope things go well for you, Right? But Paul turns it, that word, into grace from God. And peace is not a Greek greeting at all. It's a Hebrew greeting. It's a Jewish greeting, shalom. Not, he's not using the, Greek word, or the Hebrew word shalom, but he's using that concept, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens many letters like this. And then after he opens it, this is who's writing, and this is who I'm writing to, and grace and peace to you. Then he usually almost always goes into a prayer of thanksgiving for the people he's writing to. Even in 1 Corinthians, with the mess that they were, after he says grace and peace to you, he goes into, and I thank God, right? Here he does not thank God. He goes into something different. He goes into praising God. And the fact that that is different from his pattern puts a big highlight on it. He skips over thanking God for them and goes right to giving glory to God. Praise be to God the Father. I would say to you, most of the time when you find it hard to praise God, it's because he feels to you like something different than what Paul writes next. After he says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then he writes some things. And what he writes is an answer to the question, who is God? What's God like? Who is he? Obviously, God is bigger than we could really even scratch the surface of. We could even start to describe. But here's what we know. God is not unknowable. Just because he's so infinite, just because he's so vast, he is not unknowable. The whole story of scripture is that God has revealed himself to us, that he understands how limited we are, and so he picks and chooses ways that he shows us his character, his nature. He reveals himself to us. Paul uses two titles to describe him. Paul actually names God in the Old Testament tradition. I don't know if you've ever heard names for God out of the Old Testament. Names like uh, Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. El Roy, God who hears. El Elyon, most high God. Like there are all these names in the Old Testament for God that reveal characteristics about God to us. But Paul does it here in the New Testament, naming him two things. The father of compassion and the God of all comfort. As he talks to the church in Corinth, he wants them to know, and he actually is talking a little bit to himself, he wants himself to remember that God is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Is that how you think about God? Is that how you know God in this way? For Paul, this wasn't like a theory. This wasn't abstract. This was the reality that he depended on because Paul's life was rough. Paul went through torture and imprisonment and, and persecution and opposition and betrayal from people like the, the, the church in Corinth. He faced dangers all the time. And for Paul, the fact that God was the father of compassion and the God of all comfort is how he got through with it. And he's writing to the church. And the reason he's writing to this church is because this group of people calling themselves super apostles, he says later on in chapter 11. All of these super apostles that say that, they, that Paul is nothing and they are great. And they say it because Paul suffers. 
He doesn't measure up to them. They, this church has become obsessed with bigger personalities, bigger promises. It's kind of like what Paul writes elsewhere about. They want teachers to say what they want to hear. I don't know if you guys know what that's like in church. People want to hear what they like to hear. We are becoming disabled at being formed into the image of Christ because we just want to hear people say what we already think. I'm going to tell you right now, if God is God and you're not, that the word of God should regularly challenge you about where you're off. It should, right? So we should come expecting to be challenged. But these folks wanted people who told them what they liked to hear. And Paul, even though he's their spiritual father, didn't measure up. So in this moment, Paul starts by giving praise to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Father of compassion. Main idea there is that you matter to him and compassion, your pain matters to him. Your, he gets it, how life hurts. He understands you and he is tender-hearted towards you. On Wednesday night, as we closed the service, I read from Isaiah 63. And one of the phrases that I read from Isaiah 63 was this phrase, in all their suffering, talking about the people of God, in all their suffering, he also suffered. The father of compassion is someone who enters into our suffering with us. He is present with us as life gets heavy and hard and we face loss and we face all of the things that bring us pain. Jesus says he is gentle and kind. Peter says we can cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. You matter to God. He is the father of compassion. And so when you suffer, he weeps with you. He is not a God who is far away and indifferent. He is a God who is near and close and has chosen to walk in your suffering with you. So if you are full of tears, God hears. If you are brokenhearted, God feels it. If you are discouraged and feel lost and can't find your way, the Lord is right there, the Father of compassion. And he is the source of all comfort, the God of all comfort. That means a couple things. First, God has as much comfort as you need. How bad it hurts, the God of all comfort has all the compassion that is needed for that wound. There is no wound too deep so as to be beyond his ability and his readiness to bring the comfort you need. He is a comforting God. That's who he is. He is not a God who says, well, tough too bad. Deal with it. He is a God who meets us in our loss and comforts us. If you don't know God like this, you probably need to ask him to show you how to see him in the trials and the pain. He is the God of all comfort, which also means he is the only source of true comfort. Even when he gives you comfort through people or circumstances, he is the one giving it to you. True comfort comes from God. I would say that our world is troubled. Our world is a painful place to be. Our world is full of all kinds of dangers. And one of the problems is that people look everywhere for comfort except where they can find it. People are on a chase. You'll find this in, in any conversation with someone who's off track with God, who's not living for God, who doesn't know God, you will find this. What they are looking for, you could almost always boil it down to, they are looking for a way to have comfort 
for all of the weight that they carry, for all of the pain that they face, for all of the bruises they've gotten in life, they're looking for a way of comfort. And what they find is half measures. They find imperfect things. They find things that wind up binding them or, or enslaving them. People are looking for comfort. And God is the God of all comfort. He is the only one that can solve trauma and pain. Only God saves and only God can bring us true and effective comfort. There's many, like I said, many ways he does that. You get good news or uh, God brings uh, provision for you. There's music that we sing and gathering that we do. And we, there's lots of ways. But truly, unless it comes from God to us by faith, no matter what the conduit, unless it comes from God, it is counterfeit comfort. So God is the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. And who's this for? He says, it is to the church of God. To the church of God in Corinth. Do you notice that of God, the possessive of that? This church belongs to God. The church of God, the word church, ecclesia in Greek, is gathering, belonging to God. We are a gathering, belonging to him. The Old Testament word that that comes out of, congregation, means called out by God, meaning that this is an intentional, intentional gathering that is possessed by the Lord. All this points to the fact that the church belongs to who? The father of compassion, the God of comfort. We belong to that one. Is that reflected in us, in our souls, in our experience, in our testimony, and the way that we treat people? Is that reflected in us that we belong to him? He also calls them saints. And in the end of verse one, with all his holy people, the word is saints. How many saints we got here? How many of you are saints? Good. Now we know the super Christians, right? <laughs> I mean, he's writing to this church that, again, is a mess, that just constantly is a mess. And he calls them saints. As a matter of fact, ironically, it's the term he uses most often for them in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, saints, holy people. <laughs> it's be not because they're super Christians. It's because anyone who's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus has been made holy, not by, not by what we've done, but by what he did for us, right? So we belong to him and we are made perfect by him. The idea is we are changed by the God of comfort, by the Father of compassion. We belong to the God of comfort and the Father of compassion. That's who we belong to. And so Paul begins this letter talking to these people, even though for you and I, the idea that Paul is some like lower tier apostle is nonsense, right? Like who's the most famous apostle there is? It's either Peter or Paul, right? That's the, I mean, you could kind of go John, but really it's Peter or Paul. Those are the people everybody thinks about. For the Corinthians, they were like, yeah, Paul, he was nice for a little bit, but we've got better apostles. And Paul is writing this letter to say, no, I am the apostle God sent to you. Later, we learn these other super apostles that say, Paul is nothing but weak and powerless. He's always in trouble. He's always about to die. He's always getting beaten. He's always in prison. Paul is nothing. Why would you follow him? If God really was using him, not all this stuff would be happening to him. This is the mindset, right? The mindset that comfortable means good. This is why Paul is writing them this letter. In essence, Paul begins with the concept of God's comfort because it's the foundation of why he can still interact with this church even though they are rejecting him, pushing him away, 
criticizing him. God has sent him to them, and they're like, no thanks. And Paul goes towards them anyway into that pain because he serves the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. It's what he needs to get his mind right before he talks to them. And it's a base for what he's going to tell them, that his suffering and the problems of believers are, in fact, you ready for this? One of the primary ways that God works in our lives. Your trials, suffering, pain, loss, your failures and ruins are one of the primary ways that God works in your life because we get to see God more clearly in our trials. Is that true? Paul goes on and he starts talking about what God does. So verse four down to verse uh, six, he says this, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so often, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So let's jump back up to verse four. Beginning of this, he starts with this statement. And let me ask you, how many troubles does God comfort his people in? All. So if you had to like, diagnose that word all, what does that mean? You guys are like scholars. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly what it means. Every time that struggle, trouble shows up in your life, who is there to bring comfort? The God of all comfort. Is that your experience? How many troubles are in this world that need the God of all comfort? See, this is our mission. This is what we get to do. I don't need to be a perfect uh, expositor of all the mysteries of Scripture. I need to know the God of comfort and share it with other people. This is our mission. Paul shifts to testimony. When he says us, he's not talking about the Corinthians. He's talking about himself and, his, and the, those who are with him. You can kind of see that later on. Paul says, I've lived this. I've been in many troubles, and the God of all comfort has brought me the needed and complete comfort that I needed to endure. He's going to describe those trials more detail as he goes on, all kinds of things that have happened to him. And the word for troubles there is this word. I think this is going to be, when I started by asking if anyone's weary or anybody feels heavy, the word is weight. God comforts us in all of our weight, pressure, oppression, burden. In other words, real life. What happens in your life, what happens in my life, he's referring to the experience of living a life that feels heavy. He says that his burdens and God's comfort have enabled him to comfort others. The fact that my life feels heavy and the fact that in that heaviness I have experienced the closeness, the compassion, and the comfort from God allows me then to go share him with others. My comfort from God is something I want to give to other people. Like hope spills over when we're filled up with it, Romans 15, 13. You know, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope. Like it fills up you. You don't lose anything when you share it to other people because it's filled up in you. It's overflowing to others, right? 
Same thing with comfort. As I'm suffering, God fills me up with comfort so that it starts to spill over to other people. And when we have walked with God as the father of compassion, we become tenderhearted like him. We become sympathetic like him. We become kind, gentle people. This is the work of God in us. It's not about personality. It's about, yeah, I know. I know what that is. But you know who's always there? You know who gives me strength? You know who tells me that it matters? You know who tells me it's gonna be okay? You know who keeps reminding me of their promise? In other words, the troubles that we face, the weights of life, the hurts of life, are both so that we know God and so that we can share him. And it would come down to this, and I think this is true. True hope only comes through trouble, suffering, loss, and pain. True hope does not come in all of the wonderful, everything's good in life. Do you know why? You are a human being. And human beings, if everything is fluffy and good, put their hope in now. But the real hope is not in now. That's why Paul's going to say later on, we are groaning for what's coming. We are longing for what's coming. It's not in the now. If you want true hope, suffering helps me remember where it is. It's not the why of suffering, but it certainly is the what of suffering. What happens in suffering? A believer who is suffering and actively trusts God finds God there with love, with compassion. Later in this book, Paul will famously talk about how when he is weak, then he is strong. He'll talk about how we walk by faith and not by sight. He'll talk about how he's a new creation in Jesus, almost in the same breath as he talks about this body being wasting away. What it means, church of Jesus Christ, is hope is not found in victory, but in the victor. It is not found in life's circumstances or in great successes. It is found in the one who walks with us through the valleys, through all that the fall has poured out on us and sin has poured out on us, brought on each of us, and it just keeps delivering us through them to eternal life. This is the journey that Paul is describing here. Paul says, we walk through trouble so that you'll make it too. In other words, this is not just individualistic. Well, God just keeps helping me. It's God is in us. And sometimes the trouble you go through and the comfort you receive is so that you're ready for when the person next to you goes through trouble and you can put your arm around them and say, I get it. Let's walk this out. It brings us together as a church. He talks about patient enduring, which sounds awful, Right? I know that this will produce patient enduring. Oh, that sounds like grit your teeth and hold on. But the word actually has more of a sense of like expectation. Like I'm holding on because I know it's not hopeless. And in it, we join with Jesus. Paul says the sufferings of Christ become mine. Just like the joy of Christ then becomes mine. We know Jesus in our suffering. We know our Father in our suffering. We receive supernatural and eternal comfort from Him. And then we get to comfort one another because we have suffered and are comforted. So we don't need to avoid being uncomfortable. What we need to do is walk into it with faith. That's what Paul says in the last verse. He knows that this hope is sure in suffering. Verse 7 And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in sufferings, you also share in comfort. 
Just like you share in suffering, you share in comfort. What he says is, we know you, you suffer. We know you suffer. Suffering for a believer is a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. Do you know what else? Suffering for everyone is a promise. Do you know anybody who escapes this world unscathed and everything went well for them? Like The choice is not whether or not trouble shows up in my life. The choice is about maybe I don't need to keep fearing it, avoiding it, worrying about it. What I need to do is step into faith, knowing, like Paul says, our, our hope for you is firm because we know this. We should know that when the suffering comes, when the hard times comes, when you're heartbroken beyond words or overwhelmed and crushed to the place that it feels like all the weight of the world is coming down on you, in that moment, the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, will bring his presence to you in a way that he doesn't at any other time. He will be with you in it. Just like suffering and struggle and heavy is guaranteed, the comfort of God Almighty is guaranteed for those who look to him by faith. And so as we start this book, I know that we've got a lot going on here as a church. There are a lot of situations that are hard and heavy, full of pain. So today, I'm inviting us to be encouraged as Paul gives us this truth. I'm inviting us to be people full of hope. A hope that does not go up and down with how things are this week or this day. I'm not inviting you to be people of hope because everything is light and easy. I'm not inviting you to believe that someday when everything is light and easy, then I'll have hope. I'm inviting you to have hope, not because nothing hurts, not because you are comfortable, but because you are comforted by the God of all comfort. Maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe you need to think about this and know this. But this is the truth from this scripture. Your father sees you. He is with you in the struggle. And if you will listen and you will draw near to him, you won't keep reacting to the pain, but you'll turn to him. He'll find that he is pouring out comfort for you. And then what's going to happen, according to what Paul says here, is he's going to put people in your life that you can pass that comfort along to. That you can be an active part of God's work of compassion. And so, look to God. Know him like this. If, if life hurts and is heavy, God, you said you're the God of compassion and comfort. Show me. And look for people around you who are troubled with how hard life is and share with them the hope that God has given us, that there is comfort, there is compassion from the one who made them and the one who will be with them if they will turn to him in faith. Let's ask God to show us this this week. Would you bow with me and pray? Let's ask God to do this in our souls. Father, this morning, we believe what Paul wrote, that you are the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I pray that you would show us what that means. You don't have to pour more trouble in our life. We got plenty of trouble. But you have to help us in those troubles to see you. Not to keep our eyes on what's in front of us, but to lift our eyes to our help, to the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who cares, the God who provides, the God who heals, the God who we belong to. We are your people. 
Because of that, we have great promises. Help us to know that in our soul as Paul teaches and help us to live into it. Pour out your power in your people. Shine your light brightly through their lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.